Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. No matter where you are in the world, welcome to the podcast live. It is the 14th day of the month of June. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to welcome my guest, Mark Hirschberg. What's happening, Mark? Hey, thanks for having me on. And thank you to your audience for giving me some of your time. Awesome. And welcome everybody who's joining us in the live stream, joining us on the replay, joining us on the audio podcast. So before we get started, um, Mark, I kind of had a revelation last week that it's time to change things up a little bit, right? And I think that's going to kind of be a theme of what we talk about in, in, in your expertise as far as careers, too. But I've been doing this live show consistently since November 2019, and uh, I do a lot of them during the daytime, and I've experimented and done a couple at nighttime, and I've been toying around with the idea, and I think I'm going to move forward. Starting in the fall, the podcast is going to move to twice a month nighttime. What do you think? You think that might work? I think Jimmy Kimmel Bear watches back. <laughs> exactly. And just so everyone knows, this will be the last podcast live until I think the 19th of July. I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus to recharge, refresh, and uh, clear the cobs votes out. So let's get started here. My man Mark and I were talking a little bit before about this incredible bookcase behind him. And I noticed that Edison light bulb behind him. Mark, what, what is that? What is that light bulb for? How'd you, how'd you get your hands on that? So that came from one of my companies. We won an Edison Award for innovation. And this was one of the table settings. And it was just they bought these giant light bulbs for Edison. So at the end, they're just going to throw them out. I thought, this is kind of awesome. Everything on my bookshelf relates to something that's important to me. The night for my consulting company, White Knight Consulting. But the light bulb, the symbol of inspiration. thought, that's a really good thing that I want to just have in my life to remind me to be creative and be inspirational. I love it. It's interesting too, what people have in their backgrounds here. I mean, I'm, it's your show. I'm not going to talk about it, but I have things up here that, that I love a picture of my family. I have my ghostbusters Lego. I got my Bob hope uh, bourbon bottle from 1968. Like all these things that are really important to me, but enough about that. Let's get right to it. So Mark, a lot of the folks out here don't know you. So why don't you give us a quick little insight into who you are and what you do best? Yeah, my background came out of MIT in the 90s, started my career as a software developer, and I built a number of tech startup companies, a lot of enterprise companies, so you might not have heard of them. So I've been a CTO at these companies. But when I realized I wanted to become a CTO, I realized that meant having skills, not just programming, but leadership, communication, negotiation, all these skills no one taught me. So I had to develop in myself, and it turns out these skills are universal. Everyone needs them. So corporate America told MIT, we want to see these skills in your students. In fact, all our employees. And I've spent the last 20 years teaching a course at MIT known as the Career Success Accelerator, where we're teaching these skills to MIT students. 
And so I recently released a book that contains many of those great topics that's now available for everyone. That's awesome. I'm going to link everyone to that book in a little bit. And, and it's kind of like that aha thing, like, you know, kids come out of college and they're not taught a lot of these real life in the workforce type of things. Luckily for me, I had the opportunity. I had a bunch of really good internships uh, when I was in university. So I learned in an office a lot of those things that you never learn in college. I learned how to interact. I learned how to engage. I learned the proper etiquette and politics in an office. But there's a lot of those other kind of soft skills. Let's kind of go through what are some of those big skills that are not being taught at the university level and people coming into the workforce are like, uh, what, what, where was that class? How come I didn't get that? I didn't get that memo. The 10 skills that we've identified, and they're in the book, is 10 chapters, three sections. First section, creating a career plan, how to figure out where you want to go, how to create and refine and execute on how to get there. Second, how to be effective in the office, politics that you mentioned, managing your manager, corporate culture. Third is interviewing, not just as a candidate, but also as you move up, you're going to be involved in hiring, learning how to hire other people, so important. Then you have leadership and management skills. Those skills, I break it down to people management and process management. Those skills aren't just for people with senior titles. All of us from day one can use leadership skills, can use management techniques to be more effective. And then the last section, communication, negotiation, networking, and ethics. So MIT, did they did they approach you or you're like, uh, yeah, MIT's calling. This is probably going to be a good gig. I should listen to them. I had built this type of training internally at my organizations once I realized how important these skills were. And shortly thereafter, I heard MIT was looking to do the same. So I reached out to them and offered to help. So that was me reaching out to them. But they liked my insight and said, well, we have these brilliant professors. You bring a different set of experience being in the workplace, right? Just like you learn these from the workplace. So they decided they want to get myself and other people like me to help teach the class. And it's really, it's really interesting too, because this is, you're, you're not a career, you're not a career coach per se. You're not a resume writer, but what you're doing is you're taking all these years of real leadership, C-level experience, and you're distilling it down and making it in a way where folks can understand it. And they could go to each different piece that they might need. Maybe they don't need to read the whole book. Maybe they need to go to one chapter or another, but it's digestible. So let's start with the beginning career planning. Like, do you have to have a career plan? Isn't it one of those things that like, Hey, listen, get out there. Go try something and and see if you like it or not. Why is it so essential to have a career plan early on? If your manager asks you to do a project, would you ever say, okay, great, but I'm not going to bother creating a plan for it. I'm just going to go wing it and hopefully it will work out, right? Totally unacceptable. So you want to create that plan. Now, we know with our plans for work projects as well as our career, we're never going to follow the plan exactly. And it's okay to change it. It's okay to say, you know what? I don't like this plan anymore. New end goal. But wherever you're going, you want to have that regular check-in. Even just once a year, sit down for an hour or two. How am I doing? I said I'm going to develop these skills this year. Did I develop them? Do I need to put more work into it? Or is it time to go do something else? So having that plan leads you to your goal. Having a plan doesn't guarantee success, but not having it almost guarantees failure. You know, and I like that too. And I think it's about kind of accountability, self-accountability. Am I following the right path? Am I progressing the way I want? And I think it's okay to have a plan B at certain times in your career. I mean, I talk about a lot now where I don't have a plan B at the stage that I'm at, and that's fine because I've gotten to a point where I'm all in on what I'm doing, but especially folks, you know, younger. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, that that younger career. What was, you know, at, at the point where you're at now in your life and in business and success and everything, and you could look back, you know, I'm not going to date you by age right now, but if you could look back to a couple of those early 
job. So early stage in your career, what's, what's one of those big lessons that you could see now that you didn't know then that you wish you knew when you put into the book? One of the early ones, I was at a company and I noticed that there were a lot of meetings with the senior leaders. Didn't quite know why. It wasn't just their weekly meeting, but a lot of these meetings were going on. I didn't pay attention to it. Turned out a few months later, it was because there was a falling out between the founders. They wound up suing each other in court and the company split in two. Good times. Now, I, I wound up okay. Both of the companies offered me jobs. In fact, this is where I first said, how do I figure out which one is right for me? But it could have turned out much worse. And if I had been smarter and paying attention to what's happening in the office, I could have gotten out in front of it and maybe even capitalized better on it. So let's let's unpack that for a little bit. I think a lot of young folks and even more senior folks too are kind of intimidated, either intimidated or purposely stay out of the workplace politics. Why could it actually be a benefit? Is kind of you're alluding to here to kind of have a little bit more of that ear to the ground of what's actually happening at that senior level. First, it doesn't have to be politics per se. We think politics, of, politics sometimes gets a bad word. And there's there's a positive and dispositive politics in the office. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to talk about a non-politic approach and then why politics are actually useful. Floor is yours, Mark. We think about networking for, I have to build a network to go find a new job. People don't think about internal networking, building up those networks within the company so you have your ear to the ground, so you hear about risks and opportunities and ways you can even help and provide more value. So all of us, independent of politics, you want to build that internal network and be aware of what's going on. Tremendous. But for politics, to your point, politics, it's just like in the U.S. Well, politics does some wonderful things. We have made the world better. We've also at times made it worse, right? No. It can go either way. In the office, there are people who use politics badly, but you can also use politics well. The political spectrum is just people who approach things differently. Those of us on one side, and this is the side I happen to be on, are very, let me just do my job. If I do it well, people say good work, and that's what's important. People who are on the other side tend to be more relationship focused. And, oh, you know, Adam, I've known him for years. If Adam says this is the way to go, I'm a busy exec. I don't have time to drill into it. I trust Adam's judgment. That's more on the, the other side of the spectrum. Relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tremendous. I mean, I talk, it's, it's so funny. I am uh, honored to be writing a chapter in a book from my good friend, Scott McGregor, his um, Standing O series. And I'm writing about the seven key mentors in my life. And one of them that's most important is my, my time over at Sirius XM satellite radio. It was like kind of mid mid career at that point. And my my boss at the time, Debbie, the first day I was there, she took me around for the first two hours. We're talking three giant New York City corporate floors and introduced me to everybody that she knew. She uses an opportunity to introduce me to people that she didn't know. And she taught me on that day, the value of those inter office relationships. And, and the most important one were the facilities and maintenance guys, the janitors. Yeah. Yes. I never had a problem getting a new office chair. Something's broken in my office. I need help getting something up the freight elevator. Like it starts everywhere within an organization. That's that's something I teach to everybody, that it, true power. And that's a really important lesson about how everyone, not just people with titles, the way I had my grad school paid for, I wanted to become a teaching assistant. So I went to a professor's office and he gave me the runaround. I was like, oh, I don't do that. You have to go to headquarters, the department. So I went to the department. They said, yeah, I don't know why he said that. He gets to pick. I'm like, great. He blew me off. But as I was waiting to go into his office, I was chatting with his secretary. And I was nice to her. And we were talking. And I mentioned I had done some other work. She said, oh, I'll make sure to make a note. My guess is he eventually was told by a secretary, by the way, that list is due today. He hadn't thought of that. 
So uh, do you have anyone? Probably asked her. And nice. my name was Aunt because I was nice to her. And and that's one of these secret tips. I mean, obviously, it's not a secret to be nice to everybody. But like people ask me all the time, like, how do you book certain guests on your show? I go, I am extremely overly gracious and communicative with people's assistants. Right. You're not just using them as a doormat to get into, you know, that big guest that you want, but you treat people the right way and things start to open up. It's wow. Oh, my God. I can't believe what a, what a crazy concept. But shockingly, a lot of people don't. And it starts with relationships. I want to go back to um, a piece in your book about negotiating the job offer, because I think this is very um, interesting and timely, especially right now. And we're seeing a lot of things in the pandemic. And we'll get to that. We're seeing a lot of counter offers being accepted because, you know what, people are saying, hey, it's easy money. I'll take this this you know, extra 15, 20%, keep the same job and not have to go anywhere because I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to go into the office and look at my boss in the eye and know that he knew that I was leaving. You know, a lot, a lot of that is out the window. But let's kind of get back to some of those fundamentals. I think it's, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, because you're the expert. Negotiating is an extremely hard thing for most people to do because it doesn't come naturally. It's putting you in a very uncomfortable situation. A lot of people don't like to talk about money. They don't know how to negotiate. They don't know how to truly advocate for themselves and understand leverage. What are you seeing and what's your perspective and approach? Negotiating is actually really natural because all of us at age three said to our parents, I don't want to eat more carrots. And I said, well, eat a few more to have dessert. And we negotiated our <laughs> bedtime. Or you eating. know what? You're, you're right. My three-year-old literally is the most hardcore negotiator ever. Yeah, he's writing the next Trump book. Yeah. So we can do it. We just lost that skill. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of it. But it's easy to pick up. And here's the secret. Imagine, let's suppose you have a job offer for $70,000. If you went and said, I'm going to learn to negotiate. I'm going to go and ask for $1,000 more. That's not a lot of money, right? We could certainly get that. If in that one minor negotiation, you got $1,000 more. If you sat in that job for 30 years, you just got a thousand for thirty years. You mm -hmm. got thirty thousand dollars from one five-minute negotiation, but of course you'll have other jobs. You'll have other promotions and raises if you learn to negotiate. It's not about being the best negotiator in the world. It's not hostage negotiation for the FBI. Just learn to be a little bit better. Read a book, take a class. You're going to add tens of thousands, more likely hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earning. And we're just talking about salary. You can negotiate other things. Title. You can negotiate yeah. with your coworkers all the time on projects. Everything is going to come out slightly better, and that has a huge impact on your career. It's tough too when people don't know when to step up and they don't know what like what is what is the best time. You know, a lot of people think they sit back and should just wait for that you know annual performance review. And but when is the best time to negotiate? You want to do it typically after you've accomplished something well, but also think about from the other party's perspective. If your boss is having a very stressful, difficult time and you show up and say, hey, let's talk about my raise, bad time for your boss. This is why annual reviews are a good natural time because people are expecting it. And realistically, if that means waiting another four months, when you think about, oh, $10,000, that's the raise I want, but over four months, it's really only one third. So that's 3000 some dollars and after taxes, you know yeah, what, wait a few months for the better timing. Yeah, that's that's an important one. So I wanna talk a little bit about, man well, I wanna talk about managing teams and I wanna talk about leadership because they do go hand in hand. And I think that the problem, there's two things here. One, I don't think that everybody is meant to be a people leader. There's some people that are great at just being workers, individual contributors, creators, and they're just not, and that's a problem in a lot of companies that I've seen that they feel the only way 
to give people promotions is to put people underneath them. And I think that's very ineffective. I think great organizations truly understand that you could promote somebody and you don't have to build a team around them if you don't think that's right. But then there's a lot of folks who are starting to be people leaders young in their career. And I think that they're not getting trained well. They're not being put in a position where they're learning from good people leaders. So what are you seeing out there? And what are some of these fundamentals that anybody could take um, as far as learning how to manage teams uh, effectively and efficiently? And then we'll get into leadership. You're absolutely right. The biggest transition we do in our career is that first management role. Because as an individual contributor, as you become more senior, you start to do more and more and more, but it's more of the same. And here suddenly it's a different type of work. It's not just solving the problems, it's leading the team, it's managing the team to solve the problems. And they don't do any training and that is so unfortunate. So recognize when you are about to become a leader, when you want that job, even beforehand, start to read books, take classes, do training, listen to great podcasts like this one, and begin to hone those skills so you're ready. And then, of course, keep doing that even once you have the role, because it is really tricky. But if you get it right, then it just gets easier as you go further up. I mean, what were some of the common mistakes that you've seen and that you've even made yourself early in your career when you were managing and leading people? One of the most common things is the hero mentality. I was this great individual performer. I could brute force it or yeah. just work harder and figure it out. And now I'm leading a team of eight. And, oh, you know what? It's not working. Okay, same thing. I'm just going to work harder. Do more. I, I just can't do that at an 8x factor. So I have to learn to get others to get the answer and not just rely on me. It's interesting, too. And I think another big piece about leadership um, or leading people is getting feedback, you know, 360 feedback from your team. And being open to it and creating an environment and culture where that's okay. I mean, I do it with my with my team now. You know, I have a bunch of uh, folks that work with me. And I always say to them, hey, what could I do better? How could I help you more? How could I be a better asset to you guys? Because ultimately, I always tell folks that come onto my team, I'm here to be the bad cop. I'm here to provide air cover for you. I'm here to support you and keep things moving along here. So you let me know how I can help you. And if you're not telling me, I'm not going to have any idea. So I think that communication is important, but you have to create that environment. Like, and I've seen it before too, where like you could have someone who folks that are reporting to you and you say that to them and they're like, is this a trick? Right. <laughs> One thing I do is two months in, I ask for a volunteer from the group of people I'm managing. And I say, here's what we're going to do. I want to get your feedback. I want you to tell me good, bad, anything I need to know. And here's the one person, Alice. She's the one who's going to collect it all. So mm -hmm. everyone tell Alice. So when Alice sits down with me, I know, oh, it's not Alice. It's not, oh, Alice, how dare you tell me? It's a consensus. It's yeah, it's anonymous. It's anonymous. So it gives them protection and they can sincerely give me feedback. And all these pieces are really key to building up someone's leadership. What would you say are the key skills? We'll talk hard skills, soft skills to being a good people leader, to being a good leader. To being a good leader it is recognizing leadership doesn't come from position. Too many people think a leader has this title, a leader can command. That's positional leadership. True leadership is influential leadership and is about putting forth a vision. Now that vision could be Gandhi saying, let's create a new country and break free of the British, or it could be, you know what? We need to build the product, a smaller, better consumer version instead of a larger, more enterprise version. Whatever it is, you have a vision about what the future should be and then convincing people this is the direction to go in. That is the essence of leadership. Love it. Now, of course, to do that, you need to be able to think through the problem, communicate it well, coalition build. There's a whole bunch of things underneath, but that is the essence of leadership, it is not authority and commanding. 
Let's go back to coalition building because I don't think that's talked about enough. If you wouldn't mind unpacking that for folks out there who might not know what it is. I've heard that a lot. I know what it is, but I'd love if you could share your expertise. If I have an idea for where the company should go, let's say I want to launch a new division. I think this is going to be brilliant. We're going to get all sorts of new customers, help the company. This is what we should do. Okay, so I put forth the plan and I've got these great ideas and here's why the financials will work out and all this. But you know, HR is thinking, hey, we have our own initiatives and now you want us to staff up this new organization. The CFO says, oh, this is going to put a crunch on our cash flow and really the board wants something else. I might be creating problems for them. Even if it's right in the long term, how does it affect them at a smaller level? So what I need to do is reach out to each of the parties affected, people who I want to join the team or people who might be just impacted by our decisions. How do I listen to their needs, take their needs into account, maybe adjust the plan so I turn them into an ally and not someone who just says, this is a problem for me. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty important there. Where do you think most leaders fail, especially more senior in their careers? Is it apathy? They kind of take the foot off the gas? Are they getting bored? I mean, where do you see a lot of leadership failures? Where's Where's that breaking point? they stop paying attention to the details. When they're sitting up here and they lose some of the details down here, what's working, what's not, is this just a bump in the road or is it a signal of a larger problem? Really paying attention to the people, the process, the product, they're not paying that level of detail. And obviously they can't do it as much as someone at that level, but they need to have their own internal networks of what's really going on and not just that formal reporting structure. No, 100%. So let's turn in, and we've got a few minutes left. I want to talk about the pandemic. How has the pandemic affected these core fundamentals that are in your book? You know, how, how has it really affected it? And how much of that is, you know, short term? Hey, listen, this is just, uh, you know, circumstance, situational, what's happening in the last 18 months. And how much, how much of it is really going to be a game changer of how we do business moving forward into this new norm? These skills are very fundamental and universal. So it's not as though, oh, after a pandemic, it doesn't matter anymore. Now, in some cases, it changed a bit. So networking, everyone said, oh, you can't network during the pandemic. The answer is, oh, my God, this is a networking gift. Of because, course it is. Right. Most of us network to people locally. I was meeting people in New York. Now I could reach out to someone in London and say, hey, let's catch up. Let's do let's a video. Yeah. So you Take can advantage of it. it. Right. You could use it in different ways. And this is true of any crisis. It means change. It means difference. As we shift to semi-remote workforces, communication remains important, but how we communicate will be different. There's less dropping by your cubicle to have a talk. You have to be more intentional in your communication. But the nature of how you communicate and what you communicate still important. It's interesting. There was an article out in Bloomberg today that said, uh, talking about a lot of the younger generational work and the generations in the workforce are actually really itching to get back. And we've heard, we've heard different sides of this. I have my point of view, you know, my whole point of view is around, you know, a true hybrid choice flexibility because everybody's different, different jobs. I've heard from people that never want to step foot in the office again. They never want to commute. They never want to do anything. I get that. There's people that love going to the office. They love the camaraderie. They love being out of their house. Some people don't have the logistics. The, they're trapped with their villains at home, all these different reasons. How could leadership really do a good job at navigating this? Because sometimes there's no right answer. And sometimes like they, they, they have other concerns. They have real estate investments. There's pieces that employees don't understand. Love to get your perspective on this as we bring it home. As you point out, introverts versus extroverts, people who live close or far, young or old, 
everyone has different needs. So there's not going to be one answer. Now, unfortunately, there's a risk for companies. If you let people do different things, here's what happens. Women who are usually the primary caregiver have more demands at home. So they spend less time in the office. And what you're going to find in a few years is that the men are getting promoted more because they're spending more time in the office. Yeah, this is, this is a big one too. I've, I've heard it through the grapevine, and this is really interesting. We could talk for hours about this, that the, the working parent, and I'm going to be very broad on this from the working parent, and yes, it's mostly mothers, are, have been at a real disadvantage from a career growth and performance perspective during the pandemic. This is what I've been hearing. They have to manage mm -hmm. children at home all day long when those kids were at school. They're teachers, they're caregivers, and they're still trying to get their work done. They're still trying to make meetings. They're still trying to move things around. Are you hearing, are you seeing things similar? And I'm going to ask Gus about this too, who's in the green room. I see you there, Gus. I've absolutely heard that and it is unfortunate. As men, we need to step up and do our part to be caregivers and share it with our spouses. But we as society just need to recognize this and businesses need to support that and not do things that could make it easier for women to continue to fall behind. I mean, it's tough there too. I mean, if you think about it, there's always, there is, there was, and there's always going to be competition in the workplace. There's always going to be someone trying to come up behind you. You're going to be trying to move up the ladder there too. And it's been a major disadvantage. How, how are companies trying to neutralize this and how's this all being done remotely? I mean, there was so much value too, also that in the office FaceTime, that's part of our office politics. I mean, we have to change the whole, the whole game is being changed right now. And that's something that I think people aren't thinking about the secondary effect when they're saying, well, I can work remotely. I can be on a beach halfway around the world and still get my work done. You can. But if you're not in the office, it's not going to help you with those promotions. If you're not going to the after work events in your city, that's not going to help you find your next job. So you might be able to do your current job, but you're going to limit your future prospects if you're not there at least part time. I think the, I think it comes down to us being a little bit more open. I think that there's going to be two polarizing extremes on, on, on everything here. There's going to be the, the hard line that say, I want to work from home or forever. There's the people that want to go back to the office and there has to be a happy medium on that. Gus, I'm going to pull you in here because Gus is doing something pretty cool. Gus, I'm giving you a three second heads up. I'm pulling you in live. Here we go. Gus Harridge, what's happening, man? How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I figured I'd pull you in here because you have a pretty unique perspective and this is a live show and I'll do my proper intro with you in a moment here. But I'd, I don't know, Mark, um, how much you know about Gus's story, what, um, what he's done as far as bringing people back to the workforce uh, in person. So, Gus, if you wouldn't mind quickly sharing what you have done with your agency, and I'd love to get Mark's take on that because I think it's pretty cool. Sure. Uh, you know, in uh, January of 2020, I was in a Raleigh-Durham airport and i happened to pick up an article that was published by yale university entitled the benefits of eco psychology and uh, it was an article about being in nature and what it was was it it talked about how being in nature reduces your stress hormones uh it reduces your heart rate your blood pressure it actually improves your focus and so um that stuck with me uh we started to go through covid in 2020 our company ironically had a very good year. We grew, we hired more people, things were going well, but I definitely felt this sense of sort of joylessness as, as we, as we went through the year, especially after that initial adrenaline rush of the first three to six months sort of waned. And so I decided looking back on that article that we would develop a safe outdoor camp version of our office. So I leased uh, two and a half acres of space 
uh, in Saint, suburban St. Louis County, and um, we created Camp Paradowski. And so what it was meant to do was it was meant for teens to physically connect. Because I think I was listening to you and Mark, Adam, and you're talking about this battle, this this giant war that we're talking about with in bringing people back or not bringing yeah. people back. One of the things that I think is lost is that I think, Adam, you're right. It's going to be different for everybody in, in, in different situations. But what is lost is some people are looking for a sense of community in their job. Right. They're sure. looking for a creative community. It's very difficult to find that creative community if you can't find time together. And so camp was a chance for us to bring people together a number of days a week. We allowed them to be remote going back and forth, but but that was the basis of it. It was for those soft skills. It was not to do updates on Trello boards and, and no. change documents, but it was for the discussions that need to happen with each other to solve problems. And so that's what Camp Paradowski started. It started in April. Um, we're still running it right now, although it's getting very warm. Uh, so uh, we have to figure out our our, our long-term game plan, which is an evolution of our uh, a new structure at our agency. And, but that's the, what it is. And and it's awesome because people have stayed connected, and they 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 have. It's not like they're going back to the office after eighteen months and being like, "Mark, so good to see you. You 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 look look how great your hair has gotten in eighteen months. So good to see your face." People are still seeing each other, Gus. They're still connecting, and, and that's huge. But let me finish up with Mark here for one minute, and we'll dive into your story. Mark, I appreciate you. Tell everyone where they can pick up the Career Toolkit. Where could they find it? Where could they learn more? You can find it on Amazon or through your local bookstore. They can order it. If you go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, you can get in touch with me, learn more about the book, download the free app for Android or iPhone, go to the resources page with lots of free information and downloads awesome. to help you develop the skills all at thecareertoolkitbook.com. It's fantastic. We'll link it up in the comments. We'll link it up in the show notes. Everyone check it out. Mark, let's continue this conversation offline. I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Take care, Mark. Gus, my man, what is happening in the great St. Louis? It's hot. It's very hot here, Adam. <laughs> it's it's warm and Camp Paradoski is, is, uh, is empty as we speak right now because it's just too darn hot to be out in the sun. So I... Are you are you a cards fan? I am. I am a cards fan. I'm sorry. Uh, I I always used to have to say that. I have to apologize with that. Why? I, I'm a huge Cardinals fan. So you should be proud of that. I'm a huge Mets fan. I don't hate the Cardinals. I actually. I mean, we got Keith Hernandez from the Cardinals, one of my That's favorite right. players of all time. I have his autograph right. book sitting right on my shelf over there. Thank you, Scott McGregor. And and I love baseball and I miss baseball and I think next year there's a few stadiums I want to go to that I've never been to. I want to go to St. Louis. I want to go to Milwaukee. And there was a third one. I forgot the other one. Oh, and I'm going to go to Wrigley finally for the first time. Well, I would gladly host you at, in a, at, a, at a Cardinals game. I'd love to have you and give you the, the full full Cardinals experience. I, I would love that too. So so what really jumped out to me when we connected and we're talking about coming on the show is that you are a career ad guy, right? Yes, I am. Yes. And I spent the first 15 of my years of my career before I got into recruiting for advertising and marketing, working in advertising and marketing as an account guy, strategist, account management, account leadership. And I think for the purposes of this conversation, why it's so important to me, um, I'm hearing this a lot in our world, that the creative industry has really been suffering from the lack of connectivity, physical connection. There are parts of our industry that can be done remotely, but creativity, it's that human connection. It's that, that human energy that's been missing. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your background and, and how important that concept is as someone who's been in this industry for such a long time. 
Well, my, my background uh, starts with the idea that my father uh, was in this business. He worked for Flashman Hillard, which is a very large public relations firm. He then went on to start his own agency. And um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2004. And when he passed away at his wake, I got the chance to meet and talk to a lot of people over the years that he spent a career working with. And I, I took what I took away from that was that no one ever brought up the great project that they worked on with with my father, but they talked about the stories and the times together in the the hilarity of just bad traveling incidents and all sorts of other stuff. Like a and, John and Candy movie, right? And it, stru it struck me. Yeah, I mean, it struck me as that's the important part of this business. The important part of this business is the journey, right? It's the relationships that you make. And, and I think that it's really hard to make those have those meaningful relationships when it's fully remote, um, I you know, I, and and I also think there tends to be a war right now between these factions of everybody should be back in the office full time or everybody should be hot, you know, uh, remote. We've proven we can do it. I don't think that's right. I think it's like it's like a. I think it, it depends on where you are on your own personal what professional. Industry, there's so many factors involved in this. Yeah, so so that that's that's where it started for me. I worked at a big agency for the in the IPG network called the Zipatoni Company in the late '90s, early 2000s. I started another agency with another partner in the early uh, mid 2000s, and then I joined on to the Paradowski, uh, uh, co the couple uh, Alex and Nala Paradowski, who had started this business 45 years ago. Um, I, I joined on with them in 2011, and it was really important for me to address culture first. Um, and figuring out how to build a creative community that I really wanted um, for my career. Interesting too. And and how many how many folks are in the firm right now? Let me look. I think we're about a hundred and ten. That changes pretty regularly for the positive as we've we've grown a lot in the last year. And what's interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I feel comfortable saying this, that hundred person agency size is a nice size where where it's kind of you could know everybody or most most people. You know, it's a, it's a size where you where you could walk the hallways, where you could walk the you know walk the building and go into different departments, and you know most of the people here, or you at least know them by face, and there's a connection there. Oh, absolutely. I think the I think that what's been really hard is that we we hit that hundred person mark during COVID, mm -hmm. and we just lost any capacity to do that. And I think that's that's it's very very difficult to make those meaningful connections when it's just purely on screen all the time and so i'll tell you i admittedly i if this were 2019 and we had 100 i would feel wonderful about the people that we have and being able to say that i know each of them personally but i don't there are people that i i haven't gotten to know very deeply because our exchanges have been purely virtual up to this point up until camp started so let's let's talk about the camp here. And you mentioned before where the idea kind of came from. When was that kind of aha moment like during the pandemic? How early on was that? And let's talk about how you implemented it. And was that a it's like a 10 part question here. Like when you when you kind of laid out the plan, were there were there naysayers? Were there people like Gus? That's that's a terrible idea. No, you know, I think um I think I think what we discovered was that we kept on getting kept on winning business. I mean, genuinely, we would we were doing pretty well. And at the end of 2020, when we felt like there was starting to be light at the end of the tunnel in terms of vaccine and maybe a return to normalcy was going to happen in 2021, I just think that there was a there was something that happened simultaneous where there was somewhat of an exhale about 
man, I think we've mm -hmm. made it through this, but at the same time, an emptiness on like, I don't know how much longer I can keep being locked in my house or away from other people. And so I wanted to, I could sense it. I could sense it in meetings. I could sense it in my you felt direct. It. It's an energy. It's an energy. Yeah. And so, and so we, 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 I, I had wanted to do this for a while. I mean, I had joked with coworkers that I, I wanted to send everybody to camp for, for quite a long time, just so we could see all the, you know, the different sides of ourselves outside of in an office environment. And so when we did it, I, I, I started to plot it out with a group of a smaller group of people in the company and they were all very excited about it. And most people that once we launched it, people were really excited. I'll tell you, Adam, the thing that was, um really striking was how emotional it was the very first was, day we were there i was about to say so let's do a little bit of a timeline here when, when was the last day of everybody in the office march 13th 2020 i know that was our that was my wife and i's 10-year wedding anniversary and literally we call it the day of that was <laughs> we had a makeup anniversary it was all good 11 was great <laughs> um so you pulled everyone out of the office how long until you got the camp rolling and everyone well not everyone until the first group came in First group came. I mean, we got everybody back at camp. Um, I think it was the second to last week of April of wow, 2021. Yeah. 2021. Well, no, 2021. So we were a full year remote. And then in April of 2021 was when we launched camp. Got it. So it's been a full it's been a full year. And now you got everyone back to camp together. Talk to us a little bit about the um when you made the, I mean, I assume that a lot of people in the company, if not everybody knew that this was happening at a certain point they were building it. Tell us about like that feeling. Was it like really something? Cause I, I know if I was in your organization, if I was working, you'd be like, hell yeah, this is awesome. I can't wait for this camp to open. I can't wait to see my coworkers that I've been missing. And, and you're going there, as you mentioned, under the premise, we're not going there to do Trello boards and, and do actual work. We're going there to connect, to communicate, you know, work on a lot of those soft skills. What was, what was the feeling like as far as like, the energy and the culture? And, and how did you, what was that litmus test as a people leader, you know, at the top, like making sure that this was going to feel right remotely? Well, I think um, I, I would say that the energy I used our, our, our smaller task force to kind of check myself in terms of whether this was a good idea or bad idea. And I, I actually presented to them. I, I had a little, a little presentation that I put together and said, here's what I know. I know that we added 20 new people on in the company in 2020. We've never met any of them in person yet. It's mm -hmm. been a year. I know that we've added, you know, eight new clients. We've done all these things. I'm sensing that there's a void. And I go, I told them I felt the void. And I'm, sh I'm sure that others felt that void and that we needed to find a way to slowly and safely bring people back together. And so I, I the, the cross, the, the task force that I presented to was very much on board. And so they said, let's, let's make this fun and let's announce this as sort of a, a tease slowly to give people something to look forward to. So we started talking about it in late February, early March, and we launched a little microsite that was nothing more than a pair of binoculars in a hmm. campground. And as you scrolled over different things with the binoculars, it played camp music or it had different little it, Easter eggs in it. Um, you know, it, it's so funny though. The I'm laughing now because I, I, it, it makes me remember all the internal communications that all the agencies that ever worked out were the best. We even did my last agency, one of the agencies I loved, Irwin Penland, EP. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with them. Sure. Greenville, Carolina. Um, we did a ping pong tournament and the amount of effort the creative team went into building this tournament chart and we did promotions for it. Like that's part of it. 
That's one sure. of the cool things about about ad life. So tell us, you know, what was what was like the the kind of executional idea of the camp? Give us a little bit of behind the scenes how it's going to work out. And and it was I assume it was optional, right? Like you didn't have to go. Yeah, it was absolutely optional. And um, the 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 you're right. Agencies tend to, to to put far too much effort into ping pong tournaments and other activities. But I think that one of the problems with our business now that we've lost over the decades has been we don't find the value of building our own brand and building equity in our own brand. So we will put people 40 hours a week trying to build equity for somebody else's brand in which ultimately they may not stick with us down the road if they don't find equity right. in our own brand. And so you have to do those things in order to sort of provide people some identity and, and thinking. And so you know, when we started it, we wanted it to feel like Wes Anderson. I'm a huge Wes Anderson film oh, yeah. fan. And so uh, we, wanted it to, we wanted it to, the, uh, it's so funny you should say that, Adam. Our, our our internal moniker to keep it hidden from other people was Operation Moonrise Kingdom. And so- I mean, I would have figured that out right away, Gus. I would be like, you're probably going to camp. You can't so, fool me. I mean, what a great movie, by the way. Oh, it so is. Good. There's a it new is. one out that I didn't I didn't get to see yet. The, there's a hotel one or something? Uh, I've not seen it either. I don't believe. Um, but I, but so so yeah. So we 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 planned it that way. And what we did was we we wanted to make sure that social distance was still a, a thing, right? So we we kind of charted out the grounds to keep smaller um, Adirondack chair style conference rooms six feet apart. Like so, we would put a, ch- a group of ten chairs together, all separate away from each other. Um, to al- allow them to have those spaces to to work and have discussions and whatever, mm-hmm. and then we we hired a guy who was like a chainsaw artist to nice. carve a Camp Paradowski giant logo and then these wooden stools in the center, um, and then we kind of we essentially decorated it with uh, a number of tents um, throughout the campgrounds and and some large, some small, and then a, a flag. Of course, you have to have a camp flag. Oh, of course. Um, and then we added a bunch of games and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Let's, I, 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 the, the thing that was lost in 2020 that I don't think people talk about enough. I feel like I, I've read every bad take in the New York times and the journal about yeah. how COVID has impacted businesses. But the one that I think is lost the most is the importance of play. So if you're in a creative profession um, and you for a year have been told, we've got to figure out how to get this done. There's no margin of error. We're not together. We're not with the clients. You got to fly blind. We have to figure out how to make this happen. You just, you, you lose the sense of play that's really important to problem solving. And yeah, so- Especially in the creative space too, that creative energy comes with play. And, and, and we saw it the first few days of camp I, people felt uncomfortable walking over and tossing a frisbee or uh, playing a, a couple of the different games that we had set up, and so um, it was really important to us to to have those games integrated in our campsite because I wanted people to get back to a sense of recognizing that that teamwork and being together and having fun and playing around is what ultimately can lead to some of our better creative solutions. So how did you, you know, from a protocol perspective, I mean, were, were people tested? I mean, how are you making people feel comfortable about coming to camp? Can I get that so, question out? Yeah, so we people surveyed, sure, we surveyed at the beginning before camp started um, about who had plans to get vaccinated, who had been vaccinated already, and um, who potentially was going to be vaccinated. And so thankfully, 
in our in in our company by the time we had our first camp we had a, a, a over half of our our, our company great. had been vaccinated um and then in a matter of weeks um it was you know it was into early may most had had at least one vaccination if not all and so we also told people if they weren't comfortable that they didn't come that ma you should wear a mask if you wanted to wear a mask uh, it, when we first launched camp and then Did as time went on yeah, and as time went on, and we we followed the protocols of our local, you know, um, uh, local task force, right. and and so that that's how we kind of handled it. But I, I will say that most most all attended. And 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 tell us what it was like, you know, when people finally came back for the first time and they were physically seeing each other. What was that energy? What what did what did that feel like inside Gus as a as a agency as a as a as a leader of this agency as a coworker a colleague? How did that feel? Well, so the, the the days leading up to camp were were frenetic, as you would expect. It was the weekend. I had three or four people helping me build tents and put out chairs and set up areas for different teams and have drinks and canteen area. And and then that morning at about seven twenty or seven thirty in the morning, I was building the last tent by myself. And I remember two employees, Cindy and Hannah, came walking around a corner, and I hadn't seen them in fourteen months. And the first words out of their mouth were, do you need some help? And at the time, I, it was a completely just a, a nice gesture. But I found myself choking back tears uh, because it all kind of hit me at once how long it had been and how strange it had been to be away from these people that I had previously spent 40% of my my year with uh, <laughs> and, and and so you it just it hit me hard and that first day was nothing more than a lot of teary-eyed people seeing each other and having that sort of uh, experience of just like I can't believe that we're here right now I can't believe all this has happened I mean you have to you have to hope and really hope that this moment in time in our lives we're, we're gonna truly remember what we didn't have, what we missed, and just not take that for granted and value it so much more and put it so much higher on a pedestal. All those things we took for granted, right? Those relationships. Yeah, I, I, I think that there are things that we walked away from from 2020 feeling like, okay, well, we made our business case for how it's possible to run a completely virtual agency, but we also made our business case for how negatively it can impact an entire culture, a creative community, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't wanna say to you that we're not gonna take things that we learned from 2020 and not use them. I, I think that what we discovered was allowing people more individual time to be hyper-focused, whether it's in their house or a coffee shop or an art museum is actually beneficial to the agency and, and, and emotionally beneficial to them. Um, but we were doing that prior to COVID, you know, I mean, there's a lot of functions at any organization where you have to be an individual contributor and laser focused on the task at hand. And let's call it what it is. Sometimes there are distractions. <laughs> There's a lot of distractions in the office. So giving someone that flexibility to say, you know what, I got this project I'm going to work on. So today I'm going to be home. I'm going to be laser focused on this. Tomorrow I'll be in the office. I'll be shifting all my meetings, my team events together and blocking attack. It's just a new way of thinking. And you as a leader, how it, how has this forced you to kind of maybe change some of the conventional ways that you were thinking about leading and managing people? Well, I mean, I, I think that um, we, 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 
we focus on three major pieces in our organization and we have prior to COVID and they've become more important since. But the three areas that I think everything kind of funnels back through in terms of whether we're successful or not are creativity, partnership, and innovation. And so I think what, we, what we've discovered is that um, we were able to be creative, um, we were able to be good partners, and we were, certainly we, we probably had more breakthrough innovations in 2020 than in previous years. But, but I also think it changed my perspective on that a little bit and, and knowing that um, I, th I think we, we owe it to people. I mean, I, I personally feel a sense of not wanting to waste the time that we have on this planet um, as we yep. move forward and wanting to be respectful of the people in our company to do the same thing. Now you have to counterbalance that with our financial obligations of saying we've got to have, we've got to find clients, we have to do work, we have to pay the bills. But I also I also felt more emboldened than I probably have in a long time just to say, are we happy? Are, is what you're doing making you happy? Uh, and, and are we doing the kinds of things that are making us us proud and happy? That's an interesting one. So I'm I'm curious, the way you organize it, was it, camps, was it done by groups, by teams? Did you kind of hodgepodge, mix it up, shuffle it up a little bit? Or did you intentionally bring it together with teams so the teams could get back together? So we did both. So we, we set it up so teams could meet um, a couple of mornings a week by themselves. So they felt safer and lesser numbers. And then what we did is we started to have uh, company events together to bring everybody together. So we had a guy named Serengeti Steve who brought snakes and alligators to camp. And uh, he sh showcased a bunch of exotic animals. And That's we brought fun. the whole agency together for that. Or we had big lunches or dinners that were all safely catered catered for, for the group, for them to, to have those group activities. But then we also wanted them to do it by department to make sure that that connection was happening face-to-face just because what we were discovering was just the fatigue of the 30 minute Zoom by death was 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 really hard on on our, our company. And and I want to dig into the creative piece. I have a good good family friend. She's a, a senior level copywriter at a big pharma agency. And she said the, the creative collaboration is dying remotely. There there it's just sometimes just staring into an empty screen and not feeling inspired. Tell us from your perspective. I mean your feedback from the from the creative folks about being together again yeah i mean i it's interesting right now we um i've had some discussions with most of the creative directors in our company i think almost all of them in the last 30 days because we're at a stage right now where we have established a task force that is developing what we call the way we work moving forward which is not if you notice back to the office plans. Um, and I think that's a, a big problem that I see a lot of companies say, oh, we're, we're putting on our back to the office plan. Well, I don't think that's the right way to use it. There's power in your words, right? And I, I think you're telling people what you really want when you say, in let's the, put together our back the to the office. Right, yeah. back to the office plans. And so I, in our way we work sessions, we've talked about this desire to say, let's figure out a different way of how we develop our days. So this is a chance for us. This is a moment in time which we may never have again to say, let's mm. develop a cadence and a methodology that works better for the creative process and for collaboration. Um, because we wouldn't be able to do this two years ago, and we may not be able to do it in two years from now. You got to charge your time. So what, what does the 
well, first of all, what are you calling it? I mean, I would say it's kind of the plan moving forward. I mean, what are you, what are you calling it? And, and what is your, what is your plan, Gus? Well, I mean, I'm kind of spoiling it for all of our employees because I, we haven't really announced it yet, but what, what, what our plan too many are is, is, to, is to renovate our, um, our, our office space and um, to provide more general meeting areas um, and allow teams to come in. We'll have days of the weeks where we have the entire company in the office together for the full day. Um, there will be one or two days of the week that that's, that's what's going to happen. There'll be other days where they're just in with their teams working on what we're calling screenless activities. So mm. let's shut down the computer. Let's shut down your phone and let's spend an hour solving the creative problem at hand and talking about it and talking about what we like and hate and all the different things that come from actual creative collaboration. Um, Tremendous. Uh, and so, and so I think that, um, I think that's a big, I think that's a big factor for us is developing a new methodology that provides, um, I, I think screens have become intermediaries to a degree in the creative process. Oh, did you get my update? I put it on Trello. The, the due date change for this, or the objective for this is now this, or, oh, I added that in the Google doc. I, I, I tagged you in it. That that's not creative collaboration. That's just not. And so I, I think we've got to find a way to fight through that. And so that's what it looks like for us right now. We're looking at it as two different ways, changing our physical structure and what happens inside the physical structure by a task oriented way. So group sections, yeah. group meetings. And then we're also looking at our own personal how we work method. That's um, tremendous. And you wouldn't have had this opportunity if it wasn't for the pandemic to really take a step back and say, how are we working? We've been doing it the same way for the last, you know, 100 years of Adland. Right. You know, Agencyville, how do we change that dynamic and how do we listen? So what happens? I'm sure you're going to have some folks that say, I'm just hypothesizing. I say, Gus, you know, for whatever reasons, I, I just don't feel comfortable coming back into an office, maybe forever or just now, maybe for a little bit. I don't know how long that's going to be. How are, how are you as a people leader handling that and in, instructing your HR and people and people in leadership roles to handle these situations? Well, we're taking it day by day right now. I mean, I think what can't be lost is we, we in the United States, we do have a really positive situation. But I think if you look at Great Britain with the Delta variant and some of the other things that are happening around the globe, I, I'm hesitant to say, let's just put this whole chapter behind us. It's business as usual. We're back to normal. I think we've got to be pretty cautious and iterative in terms of how we're handling this right. based on the data that we're getting. But I, I will say that um, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a very sexy answer, but it, it depends on the individual. You know, there are some individuals in the type of work that they do that I would look at and say, well, if you're developing, if you're, a, if you're a, a computer programmer and you're writing lines of code a day and you feel like you're hyper productive in an environment where you can put your headphones on and you're not with a hundred people talking around you, I get that. I, I could understand that. There are other roles that as a creative leader, as a writer, as a as a designer, that your your job is instrumental in the development mm -hmm. of other individuals on your team. And so it's important that you be there for them, whether it's at the office or at a museum or in a park. Gus, what has been the feedback from clients? Well, I mean, I think the the nice thing about this so far is that our clients has, have started to use Camp Paradowski. And so some of them have been unable to meet in their own corporations yet. And so uh, they will they've come over to meet with us. And then once they're there, they've said, 
would it be okay if we brought our larger team back for just like an hour or two, just for we could see each other and be together for a while? And so the, the, the response has been incredibly positive um, just because it's, you, you know, 12 or 14 months in some occasions, that's a long time for not just an agency to go without seeing your coworkers, but all your clients, they haven't seen each other. They're not other. seeing them either. They're not seeing them. And a lot of companies too operate like an agency and that kind of camaraderie right. too. A lot of people don't understand that team dynamic as well there too. And and have you have we done any of the the, the full client agency meetings on site on the, in the camp? We have, yes, Great. we have. There's an energy there, the relationships, right? Like to your point earlier, you can't do this all day long with clients. No. There, there, there's something to be said about physical contact. And I mean, eventually get back to who doesn't love a good client dinner, right? There's a lot of value to that. And they're not just boondoggles. There's a real value to those conversations, those conversations yeah. over dinner, drinks. That's real. It's real stuff. Well, I think ultimately, if you're in, in the ad business, you understand the importance of relationships. And, and the same the way that people say long distance relationships are hard. The same can be applied for virtual agencies. I, I think you have to have real relationship building things that happen, shared experiences, in-person meetings, discussions, whiteboards, like long, real human interaction is the only way I think to build meaningful relationships. I'm on hundred percent there too. And that comes down from an account management perspective that comes from a creative perspective, you know, for the creative teams, really understanding the brand as told by the brand managers, by the folks that are the stewards, the shepherds of the brand, not just over Zoom, really getting involved with that too. And then account management, I mean, relationships are everything. I mean, otherwise you just turn into a production studio, right? If you don't have that, you're just churning out work instead of yeah. really understanding the brand and understanding the dynamics of it and those ins and outs and with the, with the, with the brand managers really being charged with changing and their objectives. Well, and Adam, I would tell you, I think it's been just as hard on account account service as it has been on creatives in the last 100%. year, because if you're trying to build relationships with a client who is also at home, who's also trying to manage their family, who mm -hmm. also has 400 other tasks, they have a half hour video screen for you, or they might have a text or emails that you don't have the opportunity to sit in their office or take them to lunch and really find out how things are going. And so yeah. it's been a very difficult year, I, I would say as well, um, to try and build those relationships meaningfully on the account side. I love it. And, and Gus, have other other uh, agencies, other companies kind of been reaching out to you and saying, hey, this is pretty cool. Tell us how you're doing that. How are you spreading the word, the gospel of, of the corporate camps, the agency yeah. camps? I've had a couple of other agency owners tell me I'm crazy and that they just want their people back in the office full time. Um, but I haven't had a <laughs> lot of people calling me asking to replicate our camp. I've had a lot of companies on the client side call and say, can we come use the facility um, that are not clients? They just hear about it and they want to come mm -hmm. over and get together with their friends and family. And I'm, I'm fully supportive of that as a human being. I love it. Guts. This is this is absolutely awesome. Tell us a little bit of, about uh, Paradowski Creative. What do you guys, what's your specialty? What's your bread and butter over there? You know, Paradowski Creative, we, we are not going to be your hyper-specialized agency uh, where I'm not going to tell you we're the, the best at any uh, specific category. Our agency works across a lot of verticals. So we work as an innovation agency for Verizon for their 5G labs. We work for Bayer it, across their crop science, pharma, and consumer health. We work for Enterprise Holdings, which is the owner of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, uh, to National Cattlemen and Beef Association in Denver, to uh, just a variety of different nice categories. Yeah, I think what what we tell people is we like to do work that 
we believe it. And we believe in the clients that we have and we believe in, in what they're trying to accomplish. And, if, and Gus, if, if, if your leadership here in building out this camp is any type of ad to anybody wanting to work at your agency, what really makes you guys special? Why would somebody want to come work at your agency? I think that our agency um, is is an extraordinary group of people. It's not one person. I've worked in agencies that have a charismatic guy uh, that everybody follows, sort of a he there. You yeah, know, I, that, I worked at Vanderman. You don't that, have to tell me. Right. So. <laughs> So that, that's not what this place is. This place is a collection of extraordinary human beings that do great creative work. But more than that, they're awesome people. You know, during COVID, they developed a scholarship fund to support diversity and inclusion efforts at a local university collectively. And we raised over $100,000 for it. I mean, this is an extraordinary group of people. So I would tell people that the, the caliber of our work is awesome. We were nominated for three Webbies in 2020. Um, and, and at the same time, the caliber of our people is even better. Great stuff. Gus, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Hang with me here for a moment. Where could folks uh, learn more about you, the agency, where they could they connect? Yeah, check out Paradowski.com. We did a different website. Most agency websites hide their people because they're so worried about the people getting poached or, or taken to other shops, and they don't give them enough information. We decided to build a website that provides Vanity Fair level exposés on all of our employees. And so you can learn anything you want about me or many of our other employees in our long-form essays and articles about these folks. So, yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Check it out, everybody. Gus, hang with me for one moment here. Sure. This has been awesome. Uh, two really unique uh, guests today sharing different perspectives about kind of what's happening on there. One from a, a career growth perspective, negotiating during the pandemic, and Gus sharing a, an amazing innovation um, as far as bringing people together, you know, thinking outside the box and thinking outside. So appreciate both my guests today. Appreciate everyone following along live, everyone on the replay, everyone listening on the audio podcast that'll come out uh, later this summer. This will be the last podcast live until July 19th. So taking a little hiatus taking a little mental break, going to recharge the batteries, get some new ideas out there. We're going to switch up the format a little bit and uh, bring you a little different look podcast live coming later this summer in the fall. Gus, I appreciate you hanging with me one moment. Everyone, you know what I found out more at thepodcast.com. Have a great day. Have a great week and catch us in July for another great episode of the podcast live. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.